0: People ask me all the time what kind of music I like, and it's just songs that just have the gospel in them. It's awesome. Um, it really is just Jesus, you know just tell the truth about the gospel and put that to music. I'll be there for it. It's awesome. Thank you, Lance. My name is Lee Hudson. I've been around a long time and uh and Greg and I've been friends for a long time. He's asked me to to teach today on the very last uh, verse of the Lord's Prayer in matthew six thirteen so if you want to head there. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. So my wife and I did this thing yesterday called the Urban Dare. <clears throat> Anybody heard of it? It just kind of came out of nowhere. And so we went down there. And We didn't know what to expect. And we showed up about 10 o'clock yesterday morning, I think. And, uh, and there's all these red T-shirts everywhere and all these people and people stretching. And I'm going, if I see people stretching, I'm not sure, you know. And there's costumes and all this other stuff. I'm like, I don't what have I signed up for? Well, it's about a six-mile scavenger hunt that covered most of downtown. And we had a blast. And what was cool about it was, and actually I'm not sure, I'm not sure it's cool or not, is we, it started in the town center. And in 1991-ish, before we got married, in 1992, we bought, uh, uh, the city sold these bricks, and you could put your name on it. And so before we got married, we decided, okay, it, we know it's presumptive. We're not married yet, but we're going to put Lee and Karen and uh, have that put on a brick, and that was in the town center for, for years and years, and they remodeled one part of it and took the bricks up. And I realized that that was about 1991, and Peter was part of this guitar player standing right here. Him and his, him and his fiance Jamie, were part of this uh, race yesterday, and Peter was born in 1990. Is that right? Wow. <laughs> so... He was with a bunch of people that didn't have any idea that we knew each other. And so I saw him coming, and we're in the middle. We're up by the, I don't know, one of the clues that you had to find, you had to take a picture in in front of one of the plaques. What's that? The cemetery, thanks. Scavenger hunt by a cemetery. I'm not sure I feel about that, but anyway, he's coming this way, and I see him, and we'd already seen each other at one of the other stations, and his friends have no idea who I am. So I blew right into him and just like, Body checked him and said, sabotage, and all of his friends were freaking out because they had no idea that we know. we know each other, you know. And at the end of the race, you know, Peter, who was born in 1990, and Karen and I, we finished this race, and I don't know how you feel this morning, baby, but uh, <clears throat> I am not moving so fast today. <laughs> so that is a lot of fun, but man, it's, it's, time goes by really, really quick, and, uh, and that whole story was just for free, so it's great to be with you today. I've been in, I have been in Alaska a long time, and I love Alaskan things, and I love going to Alaska places. Uh, I came here when I was in high school, and, and uh, <clears throat> it's a strange thing to, uh, and I don't, uh, it's, this happens, and I don't know why. It's strange. I think I'm getting a, a clue, but I've seen some places up here that really affect me and uh i don't know why this happens where i just start crying about it but um i think uh i think i felt the closest to god in this place uh and it wrecks me every time it's weird um but I, somehow I think the Lord's Prayer is attached to it, and so if you listen to all the tears, it happens to me every time I talk about this. I remember the first time I flew into Lake Clark uh, with a friend of mine, and actually it was my brother, and uh, I went over there and I had an opportunity to go over there and finish up. They were closing a lodge up for the year and flew, flew into that lake, and uh, I remember the first time flying through Lake Clark Pass and uh, to go over there to do some work, and man, it was, it was the first time... Uh, I had seen mountains that that, I, that seemed to speak to me, and I grew up in the Tetons. I mean, it's not like I, you know, was in the Rockies and whatnot and whatnot. And uh, I flew into Lake Clark, and it and it seemed like the mountains had personalities and moods, and it was strange. And I thought, man, I've seen the real Alaska. And then I don't know how many years ago, a friend of mine, I could have never afforded this on my own. It was it was he was just a really gracious guy, and he just said. A, you know, come out. I've, I've got a place out in the Wrangell Mountains. And, uh, and then I thought I had seen mountains, and then I went here. And, uh, and I stood among these, these knife-like knife life peaks in this place where this guy dropped us off, and he was the only guy on the planet that knew where we were, and that was scary. And I still cry when I picture that in my mind. And that was, that was 10, 12 years ago, something like that. I don't even know. I think it was 2003, so you do the math. Um, And I still, it brings tears to my eyes when I picture the sun through the mountains in the morning. Man. And we sing all these songs today about the glory of God and, and, you know, the the reigning king. And uh, talk about revelation in the future and, our, our promise and hope. And I think that's what gets to me because I just remember standing in these mountains and I swear I heard God. Uh, we can't even talk about it. That place, this place, I don't, it's where God just reached right into my soul and, uh, and it was terrifying and, you know, this is a scary place. Uh, what am I doing here? Uh. I'm not a mountaineer, and I remember, you know, trying to pick around these unbelievably rugged mountains and going, "Man, I just want to go home." It was so terrifying, but it it affected me so deeply. I can't talk about it without doing this. It's weird. And it was just, I think, over the last decade or two, as I've been in these places, it has been such an extreme privilege that I just believe that God created those places so that we would know something of his magnificence and be known by him in this terrifically moving and profound and really scary way. And, and the mountains, the place, these places out here are just a taste of how deeply he loves us and knows us, how deeply he loves me and knows me. And what's weird is that I have a real similar feeling. It's, it's, it's not quite as uh, visceral and visible, but I start to get the similar feeling if someone important to me tells me that I matter to them. It's weird. Same feeling. And I'm not sure to, what to do with it most of the time. And I have to work to accept that, that, that I matter to someone. I think it's terrified, It's ter- just terrifying to be loved like that. It's terrifying to be known by God so fully and allow myself to be known by others in a meaningful way. And it's easy to hold back for all of us and just take a... The swift medication, you know, Yahoo News or Facebook or, you know, mindless TV, and those are idols, and even if they're small idols, they're idols. Those are my idols, even if they're not home wrecking, um, It doesn't mean that it, it doesn't compromise that kind of visceral intimacy with God and others that we're made for. I'm made to experience the presence of God in, in, in a very invasive and life-changing way. I'm made for it. You're made for it. That's what I believe this prayer of Jesus is all about. I'm made to be changed into his likeness and transformed from a carcass with a stone heart into a human being made in the image of God. Uh, possessing a malleable heart, chosen by God for a magnificence greater than that of all God's creation put together. I'm made for it. I'm made to be a transformed creation of God, and so are you. Sent into the world for a cause and a purpose. And with that, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our day, Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And something's been working on me for a while that's challenged me to think differently about the nature of God and how He does relationship with us is reflected in this prayer. In the past, I've said, if you've been, you know, I have a tendency to get on one question and it stays on me for years, and I think it's because I'm slow to the punch and it just takes time for stuff to sink in, but that's the, kind of the, how God and I roll. Um, and as an example, and this is kind of an aside, but as an example of these questions that bother me, you know, I've been, it's been bothering me, okay, what's the difference between God's nature and God's will? Because I believe that God's will prescribes a way of life and living for me that's guided and directed by God my Father. And, it's, and that's infused with His presence, and, but that's much different than His nature. As one who's being transformed into His likeness, there are things about my nature that are not perfected. That's true of you too. And the Bible, said that, and the Bible says that what is unholy cannot stand before the presence of God and live. So does that mean that it is God's will to kill me if I can't perform? Not at all. It just means that until I've been made perfect through the transformational work of Jesus, I cannot stand before God face to face like I want to without that which is unholy in me being consumed. And I'm not going to survive that because I'm not a completed, perfective work of God. And that's what redemption and the covering of Jesus by His righteousness is all about. It makes a separation between God's will and God's nature. I'm a sick man, but I think about that stuff all the time. That it just works on me, okay? Here's another question that's been bothering me. If my children behave... How many parents? Raise your hand if you're a parent. Yeah. If my children behave and do what they're told and become upstanding adults in the community, does that have anything to do with my value as a parent? Is their behavior attached to my goodness as a dad? Oh, man. Here's another one. Does it necessarily mean... I've been watching the news about what's happening over Israel. Okay, does it necessarily mean that God is good if if bad stuff just doesn't happen to me? I'm probably not going to wake up tomorrow to missiles hitting downtown, probably. Probably not going to wake up tomorrow. The history suggests we're not going to wake up tomorrow to to massive economic collapse in our country. We live in an, an incredibly wealthy and safe country And I can't even even begin to imagine the things I don't have to worry about today because I live here. But here's the thing that's crazy. Does that mean God is any more good as a result of that than He already is? Is is God's goodness attached to my circumstances? Makes me wonder. And I've taken all all those kinds of questions like that. This is bothering me into context as I've looked back over this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And I've been asking questions. Okay, so what's this prayer all about, really? I've been saying it since I was like that. What are we asking for when we pray it? I don't think I thought about that until I started putting this together. What are we really asking for? What's it designed to connect us to? What's the vision behind it, and what are we asking for, really? Because I'm pretty sure I have been guilty of praying to God just so I don't have to be uncomfortable. I'm pretty sure that the vast majority of a lot of my prayer life over the last 30 years or 40 is just to hope and you know, make, try to make God protect me from bad stuff. God, if you get me out of this, I will. Have you ever prayed that one? I don't You can tell the truth now. Come on. If you do if you just do this one time, I'll do this. God, why won't you listen to me? I'm begging you. You must not be listening to me because you're not doing what I want you to do. Nobody's ever prayed that prayer. Please answer my prayer, God, and just remove my pain from me. And if if our pain doesn't get removed, does that attach to God's nature or his goodness, his will? I don't know. These days, I think if I turn around and ask a different set of questions, I wonder if I don't approach God with a deep sense of wanting a King James easy button. <laughs> Godeth, you are so goodeth, and that was easyeth. My well, prayer life's been like that. If I just if I sound holy enough, or if I put the right language on it, or whatever, God's going to be more good, or He's going to be more faithful, or He's going to be He's going to be more trustworthy than He already is. You see where that's going? And then I realized, I was, man, I've made God really small in my prayer life. And then I juxtaposed juxtapose that to these moments where I know He spoke to me, and I know He's there, and I, and I feel His presence so vibrantly that I, just, I don't think I can stand up. And there's a big distance between that. And I wind up reciting the Lord's Prayer because I'm supposed to. And I don't realize what I'm really asking for. So I went back through this, and I started thinking about it and looking at it and what it's really saying check this out this is what it says father our father our dad our daddy that's the word our dad you are holy your kingdom come now what is god's kingdom well it's the painful struggling struggle of rewiring our controlling sinful nature and doing relationships the way innocent kids do relationships that's god's kingdom it's walking with people. God's kingdom is us walk, us transformed followers of Jesus walking with people through the war that is this life. That's discipleship. Walking with Jesus ourselves and with other people back into Eden, back into what was lost in the garden. But I, I, don't even, I don't have any idea, and I don't think I realized until this week that every time I recite this prayer, if I do it in kind of a thin transactional way as if it's kind of an easy button, that I don't realize that I'm asking God to allow a war to happen. I'm asking to be invited and to be included into something that's really, really hard. It's impossible without Him. His kingdom does not come without a great war. It's what spiritual warfare is. And Jesus said, I've not come to bring, bring peace but a sword. And it's not because Jesus is trying to be a jerk at all. It's because the truth divides. It sets children against their parents. It blows families apart. It separates, it says it separates marrow from bone. It gets to us. It it, it doesn't just do nothing. You encounter the truth, you're not going to stay the same. It's a war. And so the prayer continues. God, give me bread for tomorrow. Father, Dad, give me bread for tomorrow. I'm going to need nourishment to do what you've designed me for, to pursue the hearts of people and take flak, fire, and missiles on the way in. And I'm going to get hurt. So I need nourishment for that. Teach me how to patiently forgive people when I get harmed. And teach me to recognize my own guilt and my own failures when I harm others. I don't think I want to be praying this prayer anymore. I just got to tell you. It's too scary. Not in my flesh. And then we get to this verse that kind of closes it. It says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I realize that I'm asking God to take, away everything, away, take everything away from me that's easy. I'm asking God to take away everything that's easy. I'm asking God to take away everything that's easy. That makes me an idiot. Like, why would we do that to ourselves? You want to be with Jesus? That's where you got to go. And why? Why are we asking, you know, how is it that we're asking God to take away everything that's easy? What's the conclusion there, the logic? It's because what I'm tempted by is very effective. It helping me to feel good if i give into it translated what we are tempted by it's really tempting because it works you get that like temptation if we give into temptation it's going to work and i don't feel anything and i'm asking god okay father take away all of my earthly distractions Help me persevere through wanting my life to be easy. Change my paradigm away from believing that you are good when I'm comfortable. And teach me, change my paradigm away from believing that you're not good when things don't go my way. We're picking, our fight, picking a cosmic fight with our own flesh here, folks. And then it gets worse, depending on how you look at it. Deliver us from evil. Well, that presupposes that some kind of evil has me, right? If I'm praying to be delivered from it, then I'm, it presupposes that I'm trapped. So I have to make an admission. What am I trapped in? My temptations. And the evil one is trying to get me to kill myself. In order to, and in order to be free, I have to petition my Father in heaven to deliver me because I'm just that completely stuck. This prayer is a meditation before a cataclysmic spiritual war. It's a war meditation. Still want to pray it? I mean, it's, you see people doing that. I see movies where guys are going to step into a, a battle and they come from a, cla- a, a Catholic system of belief and they do this. You know, football players do that too. That's a, this is a far cry away from what I learned that this prayer was. If I really think about it, plug it into the, what I understand about the gospel. And this wilderness of life stands before me and I have no choice but to begin this long journey back home to what my heart longs for to be with you to be with God now this is not home for us i'm going to show you how and i just want us to know man i just because we don't live in the middle east where all the bombs are dropping it doesn't mean that we're not engaged in a massive spiritual war it's it's the truth and you might say, oh, you need to be in a little bit too melodramatic, man. Like every time you get up there, you're talking about how sick the world is. and Every time you get up there, you're griping about all this stuff and whatnot. I don't know what you're thinking, but I want to make this practical. If you're upright, sucking air, and you have a pulse sitting here, okay? I think you all are. You can check the person next to you if you're not sure, okay? You have questions as you sit here about how to do life, spiritual warfare. And it doesn't matter what the magnitude is. We're driven by a fear that life is going to dish out something that, we're not, that we don't expect, even if it's little stuff. And, we, and if we begin to pay attention to how many of those situations we deal with all the time, it's just pecking on us all the time. It's very revealing because life is really scary and I either talk about what's happening inside of me and I, and I begin to trust that God is faithful no matter what's going on around me, Or I make up a movie about what's going to happen and then I try to control it. I am not the only man, I'm not the only person in this room who does that. Spiritual warfare. So it's all of us, and this prayer means a whole bunch for us today. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I have to recognize, first of all, that when I offer this prayer for tomorrow, and that's what it is it's a prayer for tomorrow. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. It's the war meditation. Give me what I need because I'm going to step into this tomorrow, Lord. If you give me grace and breath to be here, I'm stepping in tomorrow. I have to realize, first of all, that tomorrow there is life and death. Help me believe that tomorrow there is life and death. Life and death. The history of your life to now suggests that tomorrow is going to present some level of gap between what you expect and what's reality. And it is a very, very rare, it's very rare that any event, circumstance, situation turns out exactly the way I hope it will. And even little things illustrate this, and this will drive you crazy if you start thinking about it. But it also drive you to your knees, and it'll drive you to your need for God. Ever bought a tool to go do some job, and you get it home, and the thing breaks? I swapped out the U-joints on a pickup a while back, and about the fourth trip to the place to get the right thing to do the job, I wish I'd just taken to the shop. See something on TV, and you were just sure it was going (laughs) to... You're just sure, yes, this time, I'm not being taken to the cleaners or something. You know, And and it winds up, you open the box, and you're like, man... My wife would buy something out of a catalog, try it on, and look at herself in the mirror, and it goes right back to the store. Young lady we know started a job at the beginning of the summer at a restaurant downtown. Seemed like a fun job at the time. She's really excited about it. Gets to sling food to all the tourists and, and see all this culture and stuff. She's really, really happy about it and whatnot. Over dinner a couple nights ago, she said she's never going to work in a restaurant again, ever. Drugs, gross topics of discussion, the culture scared her to death. She's never going back. Lost expectations. I turned 46 last week. I could not be more grateful for where I am in life, and that's the truth. Very grateful. But I've been stomping around this town for a long time, and I am fairly certain. And I'm doing this race yesterday, and I'm hurting, but we got to win. So I'm, I'm running anyway, but I'm about to throw up. And I thought about this. I mean, we went across those. I didn't tell you this. We ran across these bricks yesterday with all these names on it. We were part of that project and whatnot. And I'm thinking to myself, because I know I'm coming here today to talk about it, that I realized that I, I'm really grateful for where I am, but I, I've been stomping around this place for a long time, and this it, is not the script I wrote. I haven't done everything I wanted to do. I've seen a lot of people come and go, man, if you live here for a long time, you're going to just master the art of saying goodbye. It hurts. It's sad. And not all of those relationships end well. I can't remember them all. And all I'm saying is that it's just a gap between I thought what was going to happen when I was 17 years old and, and the UAA place on Tudor was a movie theater, and I saw Rocky IV there when it opened. And it's just a lot of change. And it's just different, and there's loss in that. A gap between what I expect and what reality is. And I've talked about that before here, if you heard me. But in the context of what's being said here, it's a little bit different. Because I'm asking God to protect me from a temptation to seek a way, seek seek to to gain a way out of the purpose for which I've made. Listen very carefully. I'm asking God to protect me from the temptation to seek a way out of the purpose for which I'm made. Father, protect me from a very real danger that I will become complacent and distracted and miss the purpose for which I've been summoned. This is true for you too. To be an emissary, the king of the universe. To a broken and dying world and step into this thing, life and death. I've quoted him before, a guy named Gary Hagan. He he's the president of the International Justice Mission, and they go rescue girls from sex trafficking in other countries and kids from child labor, these brick factories in different places of the world, these little kids that are working and whatnot. And he says, God, he said, the world is, is screaming for a solution, and God is saying, I've chosen you to be the solution. It's a kind of conversation for another time, but it speaks to the humility of God. He's not going to just come in and go like this he's going to, what's a bigger miracle? He ignites the hearts of people and, and we become the solution. We, we, we carry a message that's life-saving. We're not the message, but we carry it. That's what we're called to. And what that means is, now here's, here's the thing that hit me. My sin never affects just me. If I succumb to my temptations and I just do what I want to do, it's, it's, it always has a residual impact on the people I say I love. It does. It does. There may be even people, maybe even people I don't know. Somebody loses my presence when I choose to indulge in this distraction and go over here, see? And that matters. I'm not the only one that loses. And we've got this thing that we do where we shame ourselves out of our own value. It's part of what temptation does. And so we'll isolate and pull away, and we don't realize that somebody's losing without you in their life. It goes right back to the beginning. I could stand in the mountains and cry about the presence of God, But the more I I step into a deeper relationship with God and allow Him to change and transform me, it's starting to bother me that I matter to people. That's really scary. And we're asking God by praying this prayer, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, that God will start to frustrate our control mechanisms, and you're going to start to matter to people, and it's really scary. If God in His grace and mercy has seen fit to save you from hell, it ain't just for you. If you're saved from death, to be, you are saved to be part of a life and death struggle. That's what discipleship is. That's why Jesus said go into the world and make disciples. He could do it Himself. He could. He chose you. He chose me. Whew. Here's the key thing. Somebody, if this happens, somebody is going to be the beneficiary of God's presence in your life. Somebody is going to benefit from God's presence in your life. I don't think I want to carry that weight all the time, but it's the truth. To pray for protection from the coming temptation is to be set aside to fight another day in the war that's coming tomorrow. Another way to say it is that we are given, we are given to spreading the gospel with our life. Give me what I need for tomorrow, Father, including protection from my temptation because life and death is coming tomorrow, probably. And I'm hungry for something deeper than just finding a way to survive it. Protect me from temptation because tomorrow it's going to be a battle that is life and death. Tomorrow there's life and death. So what that means is that we're given a choice. Second point, there is living or death. There is living or death. One of my favorite movies of all time. If you go home and watch it and you've never seen it, it's rated R. There's a lot of language in it and a lot of adult themes. I'm not responsible. I'm just telling you, okay? But it is one of my favorite movies because it's got such a great life theme to it. It's a Shawshank Redemption. It's rough, okay? It's, and, but it's all about being in prison. It's, this guy gets falsely accused and he winds up in prison and Morgan Freeman is one of the lead characters in this movie. <laughs> And toward the end of the movie, this young man has spent over 20 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. And the story's all about this falsely accused prisoner coming to terms with the loss of his incarceration. Powerful message. And at the end of the movie, as only Morgan Freeman can say it, I'm not going to try to do his voice, he says, son, you either get busy living or get busy dying. You either get busy living or you get busy dying. I wish I could tell you that we have a choice to live between life and death. I wish I could tell you that we have a choice to live between living and dying. We don't. We're either living or dying. There is only living or death. It's your choice. There's a theorist in the area of psychology. His name is Eric Erickson, and he he makes the case that late in life, men and women who transition out of being able to work and be productive as they transition into older age They face an inevitable crisis to choose between integrity, and integrity in his view is the ability to look back over one's life for all that it has been, grieve the loss, accept those losses, and live out one's remaining years with a relative sense of peace, that's integrity, or despair, and despair is the refusal to accept the inevitability of loss. I mean, we just don't move like we used to. I found that out yesterday. I mean, I'm in my mid-40s, but I don't... <laughs> I hurt in places. I didn't... Yeah. We don't move like we used to. We, we, we can't work like we used to. And, I'm, and I watch this, and the older folks that, I, that I'm around, of course, I my mom and dad are still living, and, and I lived with, my, with an extended family. We were all close together, and watching especially the men in my family transition into older age, and they were from the industrial area, era and they're used to hard work and these guys just, I mean, they killed their bodies working hard. They don't grieve loss very well because when they stop being able to work they lose lose a sense of their own value and they they find themselves in a deep place of despair. And they're called upon for less or different things later in life. I'm not going to call my dad to come and help me pull the engine out of my pickup. Uh, He can't do it. Okay. But on a side note, here's, here's the reality. My dad is smart enough, he has it all right up here to do those kinds of things. And one of the greatest tragedies in any culture, and it's not just American culture, in any culture, the greatest tragedy is a loss of wisdom that can only be gained over time. A loss of wisdom. It's a horrific loss when men and women get old and what they can know th- only through life and experience gets lost and it dies with them. So if you're an older adult, you matter. You're needed. You've got things running around inside of your head that, that can only come through time and experience and scars and wounding. And, if, and if this prayer will connect you to a way to find integrity in your life and understand how much you matter. So back to the subject of the difference between integrity and despair. You see, we are all either getting busy living or we're dying. No in between. There's only living or death in the kingdom of God. And the Lord's Prayer is a prayer for protection from temptation. Because if I give into temptation, I will settle for a counterfeit life. And by the way, temptation is not just related to the easy stuff. Or the stuff, it's not, none of it's easy, but the stuff that you immediately think of. You know, alcohol or drugs or sex or, you know, all that stuff. Isolation and idle time are just as deadly, folks. They just take longer to kill you. Grandiosity in religion, deadly. They just look nicer on the front end. And there are a great many Scriptures that speak, a lot of Scriptures. I don't know how many, but there's a lot of Scriptures that speak to dishonesty in business. If we're not protected from the temptation of this, this, this world we will resign ourselves to a life of despair and survival. We get what's ours. We get what's mine. And I begin to die. You know, I've changed jobs in the last couple of years. I was a full-time pastor for 15 years, and I work hard. I worked hard in that job. I was, you know, in my late 20s, was an elder, and was a volunteer, and my wife can tell you, you know, my family sacrificed a lot, A lot of time, me me doing ministry. But I'm having to come to terms with something. It's just a a window in my own life, struggling with temptation and why I need to pray this prayer, deliver deliver me from temptation. I'm having to come to terms with the reality that work, in many ways, is a marvelous escape from having to deepen the relationships with the people I love. When I'm working, I'm not with my family, and sometimes when the weekend comes around and it's a very good idea for me to unhook and go be with them, I really stink at it because it's just easier for me to work. And God's been talking to me about that, and I realize that it is really important for, important for me to find a place where work is not my life. Work is not just an indulgence of another temptation to leave. But the, my work is part of a much bigger picture with life, with, of life with God with, and life with other people, life with who I am. We're going to put it in the right order. My point is it's critically important for us to recognize that in the kingdom of God there's only living or dying. And Deuteronomy says, it, choose, I set before you life and death to so choose life. And what does that mean? I've got to let those questions find their way in and say, oh, well, what has work really been? Because I've, I've kind of held up this high standard of work ethic in my life, but is that just is that just a medication? We'll look at that; it's the truth. There is only integrity, balance, and fullness, or despair, imbalance, and. Emptiness. Father, protect me from temptation so that I can experience what it means to be truly alive with you. That's what we're praying for. Tomorrow there's life or death. Tomorrow there's either living or dying. And finally, tomorrow there's a promise of life through death. God is not trying to... Please listen to this, man. This is this is one of those ringers that's been bugging me for a long time. God is not trying to fix the part of us that can't be fixed. God is not trying to remedy the part of us that has to die. It's our flesh. I want what I want when I want it. That, that thing has to die. It can't be band-aided and fixed and made to work. It's not some busted farm machine that you just kind of take a piece of, this is my home talking, some piece of bailing wire and an attitude and kind of look at it right and hope it doesn't blow up. <laughs> my grandfather lived to 90 years old. It's a wonder if something didn't kill him a long time before that. Because he was doing, he did life like that. Just kind of, well, we'll do this and this. And we try to treat our flesh that way. So I hear people say, well, I'm just living out of my resentment. I'm just resenting. and I'm like, well, stop doing that. <laughs> what are you doing? Well, I just, you know, I'm bitter about that. I'm holding on to this grudge. I'm like, well, what are you doing? Like, there's no such thing as a godly grudge. You see what I'm saying? There's no such thing as like Jesus-filled bitterness. <laughs> Man. But we do the, tell me I'm not the only one. I've done that. Like, well, I'll only hate you 30 percent. All right. Let me finish up here. There's life through death. Logically speaking, in order for me to be delivered from something, it presupposes that something has me trapped. And if I've been saved by the grace, by the grace of God through faith in the risen Son of God, why do I still have to pray, pray for deliverance from evil? I've got to remember that we're not done being transformed, folks. The work of God in us is a very long and slow process of allowing that part of us that cannot be inhabited by His Spirit to die. It's life through death. I need deliverance constantly from the deception of the evil one because there is a part of me that can still be challenged to do things my own way, and it gives in. I'm talking about continually being in a conversation with God. That's what this prayer sets us up for. You guys can come forward. It's a, it's, it's a fluid, continual, ongoing conversation with God so that we can be delivered from the twisted thoughts that come into our mind. And they just become static in noise and they hinder us from hearing the very voice of God. Deliverance from the evil one. Unfortunately, we still have ears to hear the evil one's voice. And he's slick. And I, sometimes I blow it and listen to him. So do you father delivers from the evil one life and death is coming tomorrow folks god gives you breath you're walking into a war tomorrow you are and god grants you another day to live and if he does there's a battle coming we need to help to choose to live we don't choose to live and walk and stay in it by the grace of god we choose death either openly or inadvertently i gotta get busy living or we stay joined to death and we're just not made for that and out of all of that is the great promise we can live through death, but only by and through the protection of the direction of a father. Protection and direction of a father. His name is holy. And he possesses a great kingdom that he has graciously invited us into through the life, death, resurrection, and lordship of Jesus the King. So. Jesus, thank you for your life. I'm thankful that you came to earth to get us back and show us something and I pray that we would that this stuff would just roll around inside of us and that we would be begin to change us from the inside out because you, you desire good for us and we trust you for it in Jesus' name.